Numbers. We live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones. But it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should. But a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We want to see God move in our nation like we have never seen before. But it all starts with one. I've got my one. And now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? It is always exciting to see the Lord at work. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about our mission to love God, love others, share Jesus, make disciples. And then we move from that to saying, let's, let's get very practical with this now. What is something that we can do to show that we love God and love others? How can we share Jesus and make a disciple? So we began this journey called, Who's Your One? And as we've looked in Luke chapter 5, Jesus has touched and changed lives. And so now before us lies the question where we're going to put this practical application in place and say, who's our one? On Wednesday, I was talking uh, before refuel and, and people were telling me, uh, at, at three people shared with me on Wednesday, hey, we have our one picked out and man, the Lord opened up a conversation already. Somebody who called, who I haven't talked to in a while. I ran into someone at the store, and the Lord just confirmed. I just wonder, if we set our heart before the Lord and say, Lord, of all the people that I know, all of my family and friends that I know, would you give me a burden for one? See, the call of our life is to care for others, our family, our friends, But with that comes that challenge to share with others, to share Jesus with others, our family and our friends. This is the challenge of our life. God has you here on mission for such a time as this, because it could be that your family member or your friend, your neighbor, your coworker is that one that needs to be touched. So... As we look today, we see the transformation of a man named Levi. His name ultimately is Matthew, would, would be how we recognize him. And after he comes to know Jesus, he gets concerned about others too. He begins to care and he begins to share. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we're going to pick up. Today in verse number 27, Luke 5, 27. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. Now we know from Matthew chapter 9 that this is Matthew. He calls himself Matthew in Matthew, and here Luke calls him Levi. He sees Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. 
So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And with that, let's pray. God, I, I ask that you would take these next few moments. And, and Lord, may this not just be uh, another Bible story we hear, but would you bring just a fresh burden upon our heart to care and to share specifically to share Jesus, to begin to pray, to seek to reach that one. In your name, amen. In Luke chapter 5, we've looked over the last few weeks that Jesus is really showing us what a life on mission looks like. In Luke chapter 5, in the first 11 verses, Jesus calls some guys out of their boat. Peter is there, and Andrew, and James, and John, and he calls them to follow me. And it tells us that they leave everything, and they follow Jesus. Then we open the next section of Scripture, and we find that there's a man who has leprosy. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me well. This man would have been ostracized by everyone else in society. And Jesus reached out and touched him. And healed him. And then there's a lame man who's carried by four others and he's dropped down through uh, the tiles of a, of a roof as they are cleared back and lowered there in front of Jesus. And Jesus says to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then he tells him to rise up, take up his mat and walk. This would have man, been a man who was really somewhat stigmatized because remember in John chapter 9 and verse number 2, there was a blind man and he was born blind. And because he was blind from birth, the disciples asked, Lord, who sinned, this guy or his, his parents? So probably the stigma around this guy is he must have done something really bad to be paralyzed. They, they would have taken that as a punishment from God. So here we find Jesus calling disciples... We find Jesus touching a leper. We find Jesus reaching out and bring healing to a lame man. And then after this, he sees Matthew, a tax collector, and he says, follow me. Now, as we think about tax collectors of this day, most of you probably don't have great and high and lofty opinions of the IRS, all right? And some feel like the IRS over the last few years on many occasions has even been weaponized to attack certain groups. But as we think about the first century, we would have known that tax collectors were absolutely people who were despised. First off, they were considered thieves. Whatever the Romans said, hey, this is what everyone's going to pay per person or, or per transaction with taxes, they could charge above that and keep whatever they wanted. They were considered thieves. They were also considered traitors because any Jew who would go work for the Roman government and be a tax collector was considered a traitor 
They weren't the people that you wanted to hang around. They were thieves. They were traitors. And they were considered sinners. Why, Jesus? Why does Jesus go and hang out with tax collectors and sinners? They're thrown in this pot of of uh, those who are looked down upon by everyone in society. And yet, we find that Jesus cares and shares, and then Matthew turns around and cares and shares as well. As we think about that, I want us to think about three challenges for us. This is not just a story from the first century, but this is something that is applicable to us today. And it's those same words that we see and we've seen already in this chapter. As we think about this challenge, Jesus says, follow me. So we are called to follow Jesus. We're to be people who are followers of Jesus. And as we look at our life and the challenge of our life, our number one position in life is to be a follower of Jesus. We are to follow him. Now, it doesn't go into the details of all the situation in which uh, Jesus had this conversation with Matthew. It really is just probably summarized. Wouldn't you love to have just kind of been there to to sit on a little bench on the side and to, to hear this whole conversation with Matthew, the tax collector? Wouldn't it have been neat to hear how Jesus interacted with this guy who was vilified by everyone in society? And then at the end would call Matthew to say, follow me. And he would follow. The truth is, is that all of us, though we may think that uh, we rank higher than a tax collector in the first century. The truth is, is for all of us, Jesus calls us from where we are. Jesus calls us from where we are. Jesus called him from being a tax collector, but there was something more significant with that. He was not just calling him from being a tax collector. He was calling him out of his sin. He was calling him from sin. And the truth is, is that every one of us has sinned. That every one of us has thought something, said something, or done something that has disqualified us from a perfect heaven with a perfect God. So Jesus calls us from where we are in our sinfulness. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, can I tell you, then you are in sin. We're either in one of two places. We're in sin or we're in Christ. And if you've never trusted Jesus, then the Bible says that there are sin, there is sin that is attached to your life. And it not only brings separation from God here upon the earth, but it will result in separation from God for all eternity. So he calls him from where he is from. All of us have sinned, but Jesus says, follow me. And for us on this side of the cross, we understand that calling is is to trust Jesus as the only one who can provide forgiveness for sin and offer salvation and forgiveness of sin. Jesus calls us from where we are. I don't know where you were. You may have been a little boy or a little girl in vacation Bible school, but Jesus, through the work of his Holy Spirit, had to call you from where you were. Some of you maybe were in a youth group, and like this weekend, our students had a Disciple Now weekend. Maybe there, as a youth leader was speaking or preaching, you felt that call, that God saying, look, I'm calling you from where you are, and I'm calling you to myself. Some of you as adults, you've come to recognize and realize, look, I, I've been on the wrong path. I've, I've separate, I'm separated from God. I need him. And so he calls us from where we are. And then Jesus calls us to follow him. 
Jesus calls us from where we are, and Jesus calls us to follow him. Now, can I just tell you, it doesn't make any difference where you are if you make that decision to trust and follow him. You, you can be pretty good in your own eyes, or you can be absolutely despicable in your own eyes. The truth of the matter is, is it doesn't really have that much bearing on how you see yourself. It really, the ultimate picture is, how does God see you? And the Bible says God sees all of us as sinners in need of a savior. So he calls us to follow Jesus. That would have resulted for Matthew in saying, Jesus, I trust you as the the one who is going to be the savior and master of my life, who ultimately is going to die on the cross. He trusts him as savior and master. And he begins to follow. Matter of fact, it tells us that he leaves everything. His career and vocationally and personally and sacrificially now is going to follow Jesus. I read a story recently, a guy named S.I. McMillan wrote a, a, a story about a girl, and uh, as he was sharing this story as a girl filling out her college application papers, and if you've ever had to go through that, you know that that can be somewhat stressful as they're trying to fill out papers and trying to get scholarships and all kinds of things like that. And One of the questions was, uh, are you a leader? And this girl was trying to be honest and conscientious and thought I'm not really a, I'm not really a leader I know that they want me to put that I'm a leader but I'm not really a leader so she wrote and checked no and she mailed her application in a few weeks later she got a letter back and she was surprised because it was not just a letter it was an acceptance letter And the letter read this, Dear Miss, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel that it is imperative that they have at least one follower. (laughs) Everyone wants to be a leader. But can I tell you, you can't be a leader a Christian leader, until you're a Christ follower. You can't, men, be a good leader in your home until you're a Christ follower. We can't be a a good neighbor until we're a Christ follower. And so the call is, follow Jesus. But then, what we see in Matthew's life is it goes beyond just follow Jesus. Now, he wants to celebrate Jesus. And so we see that he moves from following to celebrating. And notice what happens with me as we look in Luke chapter, Luke chapter five together. It says, then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him, for Jesus at his house. Matthew follows Jesus and then hosts a grand banquet. This is a big party. This is an expensive party. He now is making an investment in the lives of his friends who he invites because he wants them to come and see Jesus. 
Notice he throws this great celebration for Jesus. So let your salvation throw a show through spiritual celebrations in your own life. He's celebrating Jesus. Jesus has changed me. Jesus has touched me. I've recognized the person who Jesus is, that he is God in the flesh. He is the savior. He is the the forgiver. He is the healer. And now Jesus has touched me. And now Jesus has not only touched me, but Jesus has called me. So I am celebrating Jesus. This is a time of spiritual celebration. And can I tell you, we should have spiritual celebrations. When the Lord answers prayer, when the Lord does his work. When your family is gathered together at Christmas, when your family gathers for Easter, when they come together for Thanksgiving, listen, make these spiritual celebrations. Make sure that you pray. Make sure that you take time to to have a moment. I realize and recognize some of you have family members and friends that show up at your house at holidays that are not Christ followers. So turn this in. You don't have to turn it into a church service but make sure that there's a spiritual moment where people know who you're celebrating on this day there is a spiritual celebration they're throwing a party for jesus the spiritual celebration but this party also had some purposeful invitations to it because notice who he invited he invites his friends now you have to know that Man, the the church crowd, they're not going to be the friends of Matthew. He's working for the Roman government. He's considered a thief. They're they're the ones who are looking down and saying, who is this guy, Jesus, that he's going to hang around tax collectors and sinners? So he invites his friends. And there are all other tax collectors and other sinners in the community. But he is purposeful. Jesus has changed him. And now he wants to have a part in... Others being changed. You know, our world is looking for a lot of things. But there's one thing that they can never experience, and that is the joy of Jesus. I mean, you can have, you know, the the joy of and fun of eating out and the fun of entertainment and all those kinds of things. But the deep-rooted joy of Jesus in their life is void. And so he is on purpose inviting them to come into the presence of Jesus. You know, the presence of Jesus dwells in our life. And because the presence of Jesus dwells in our life, we ought to be people of joy. We ought to be people. I, I recognize every moment is not joyful, that, that we go through hard times and we go through trials and we face challenges, but there ought to be this overriding joy. We all have our moments where we cry out to God with a sense of anxiety and fear. But those are moments and we get alone with the Lord. Our life should be noted by love and joy and peace. World can't have that and doesn't have that. I've shared with you before when my boys were little, uh, I always wanted them to have a good time on the ride to school because I wanted them to be in a good mood when they got to school. I've watched parents yell at their kids and the kids standing there with the door open and a finger wagging at them as some parent is getting in their last uh, few words before they walk into the school. And I think, I used to think, how terrible is that? 
Now that poor teacher has to go into this kid who's just been beaten down by his own parent. And I thought about how terrible it is for the employer of that person who's just yelled at their kid. Now they got to go to work. It's, it's no good for anybody. So, I mean, we used to do fun stuff. I mean, just, just fun, joy-filled, laughy, funny stuff. We'd dance on the way in our seatbelts, you know. We used to have uh, Air Band Tuesday where we would turn the radio till we found some rock song with some air band and we'd play. We used to have an opera day where I would turn on, uh, I'm serious, I did this. We, we would turn on, uh, Pavarotti or Placido Domingo, some, some operas. I taped, I, I got the words and I, and I got the words and they all had to sing in German. We couldn't sing German. None of us could. But I mean, we just did it for fun and we would laugh on the way, uh, on the way to school. Why? Because there's just the sense that you wanted them to, to have this feeling of lightness and love and joy and fun in their life and ultimately knowing, hey guys, Jesus with you, is with you today. There's joy in him. Find your joy in Jesus. Purposeful. Be purposeful. But I have to believe throughout Matthew's life, it was also marked by personal conversations. And this is the hard part. When we have to bridge that gap and ultimately step out in faith and say, hey, can I share with you what Jesus has done in my life? Can I share with you what Jesus means to me? Even by asking the question, most people aren't going to turn down. Can I tell you the greatest story of my life? Most time people want to hear. You don't have to, again, you don't have to ramrod anything, but just opening up the personal conversations. Aren't you glad somebody had a personal conversation with you about Jesus? Aren't you glad that a mom or a dad, and they'd bring you to church maybe, or a friend who invited you to youth group, or another adult who invited you to church, and just those spiritual conversations that came up along the way. You know, the longer we're in the faith, sometimes the awesomeness of those conversations begin to dim over time. Can I, can I give you a fresh spark can, can I get you to think about the people who invested in your life? And now can I get you to think about the here and the now? And, and, and not only for, for your friends and neighbors today, but even for our church as we look forward to the future and the things that we're going to do in the future as we serve and as we give and as we share and as we go. It's showing a heart that cares and a heart that shares. We follow Jesus. We celebrate Jesus. But you know, anytime something begins to move in the right direction and someone begins to celebrate Jesus, there are always those who come as the cold water committee. When you begin to heat up, when fires begin to stir When a heart begins to become revived, there's always the critical folks that are out there. So thirdly, we have to persevere in Jesus. We persevere in Jesus. And as we think about persevering in Jesus, we have to persevere because life's not only mountains, but there's some challenges along the way. And notice the disciples face that. Notice what happens as we look back at verse number 28. Their large crowd is there with them. 
Matthew has thrown this elaborate party, but it says the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why is it that Jesus is concerned with tax collectors and sinners? You have to persevere as you face critical people. Anytime you do something for the Lord, there's someone who's going to criticize you for it. There's some colleges across the nation. Asbury College has broken out in a sense of revival. And you can go on Twitter and there's people griping about it, complaining about it, disparaging what's going on. The news media disparaging. That has spread to, to other Christian colleges. Can I tell you, when God is at work, there's always someone or something there. There's always critical people. There are always critical people. John Wesley in the 1730s began to look around and he looked at the Church of England and he thought, they don't really look like they care about people in the coal mines and people who would be considered sinners and those that were in poverty and are those that were hurting. So he began to preach in graveyards and open fields. Why? Because he wanted to show that Jesus is for everyone, ultimately beginning uh, a, a new group of those who would methodically, the Methodists who would methodically begin to teach the message of Jesus. But who did he go to? He went to the people who the church at that time was looking down upon, saying, ah, you know, we, we, got, we got a nice facility here. I'm not sure we want to mess it up. We don't want some old coal miners sitting sitting in, in one of our chairs or one of our pews. I mean, those guys got ash on them. We, we, we don't want them coming into our building. We can become critical and callous if we are not careful. And I believe for us, when someone walks in these doors or when we meet someone on the street, that God gives us divine opportunities and we have to decide if we are going to care or if we're going to be critical. Every week we have that choice. Am I going to care or am I going to be critical? Here, these Pharisees and scribes, they, who is Jesus hanging around with here? These folks are dirty and, and they're disgusting. They looked at them as condemned sinners who weren't worthy of anything. But notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, those who are healthy or who think they're healthy don't need a doctor. But those who are sick, Jesus looked at those and he didn't look at them as condemned sinners. He looked at those who were spiritually sick in need of a spiritual doctor and he was the doctor. He was going to bring healing. He was going to bring salvation. He was going to bring forgiveness. Persevere as you face critical people. And then persevere as you face critical times. We're facing something unprecedented in the time in which we live. There was always this sense of, of though not everyone ever agreed on everything with Christ, there was a sense in which the message of Jesus was uh, well taken in the past, and no more. These are critical times. 
And it is not a time that we just give up and we throw up our hands and say we can't do it anymore. We still are called to be people who persevere. It's interesting this week on Monday, the CDC released a report. And I don't know if you've seen it, but you you need to be aware of this. Nearly three out of five teenage girls in 2021 said that they were persistently sad. Persistently sad. I mean, that's day after day. There's just this feeling of sadness. What social media has done, what gender confusion has done, what the sexual revolution has done, what turning away from the Lord has done, has made people very sad. And they are very lost. And we have the answer. Not everyone wants it. These scribes and Pharisees, they watched Jesus do miracles. And they said, we, we will have no part of him. Matter of fact, we're going to crucify him. But there are many who, as they look at life, realize, hey, that three out of five, 57% of teenage girls, it's not as high in boys. But we're finding nearly every week another person who's lost hope and committed suicide. Another person who seems to have everything on the outside and they've just lost hope. Mental illness, we know those things are are real. Those things affect. But can I tell you, when we as believers begin to share with the sick, Jesus saves. Lives can be changed forever. So, who's, who's that one? Who's that one? That one that, that the Lord's laid on your heart over the last few days or the last few weeks. We've said this day's coming. I, I, I hope that you've thought about it and prayed about it. And if you're not ready today, we'll take the cards after today. But who's one? Is there one family member in your life that you'll commit to pray for? You need to take this card and if you put, put their name on here and tear this off, then we're going to turn these in. We've got baskets here at, at, at the uh, foot of the cross and those are going to go from the cross and they are going to be, they're going to be taken by the staff and just put a first name on it and your name doesn't need to be on it anywhere. But then you can write that name on this page as well and you keep this big part as a bookmark for you. And every day there's some scriptures if you want to use these as a guide to give you encouragement and knowing how to pray. And there's some more uh, supplemental material if you're interested at the info center on how to share your faith or some devotional reading on how to pray for this person. But I want to tell you, there is only one who brings hope and we as believers must care and must share. Who's your one? In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And as the invitation begins and we all stand, I'm going to ask you to take that name and just drop it at the foot of the cross. If you're up in the balcony, there's a table up there with a basket on it. And uh, 
right behind the, the media booth. And you don't have to walk all the way down. You can just leave it right up there. But I want to tell you, I, I, I've just already, as people have said, hey, God just already opened this door and God already moved here and God did this. I just think, Lord, even the one here, I mean, it, it, it for, for, for us opened with a, a conversation that just went an unexpected way. I wonder today, who's your one? Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord, we all know people in our family, people who are our friends, who are lost and do not know you. And we know the only hope for our world is Jesus. And so, God, as you would look over the city of Jerusalem and weep over that city, may we be people who weep over the souls of those who don't know you. And Lord, would you do a mighty work for your honor, for your glory. Lord, as criticism comes, may we never give up. But Lord, may it be obvious that you're at work. Lord, change hearts and lives for eternity. And may we see that happen right here in this place. In your name, amen.